match. Thornton was back. Yuki Moto yelling out, Joey, it's a trap. Dropping every time, sends money line. Don't leave me hanging with the unanswered five. God damn, look at daddy, he dazzled with the deflection. Freddy looking over his shoulder like he needs witness protection. Matthew's wet and wants the tissues, thanks to his new daddy issues. Forget the fashion, both eyes like some hippie gate and issues. All lesson books, call him laser discs. Touch the risen from the stock, call them chops and flicks. Rather send tape to tape, VHS box set. Stuck out two shades besides in our cassette deck. Leaps that looking wider than an IMAX screen. Send staff on a budget made for TV. Chip out Deacon Morgan Riley, call that DVD. DJ Ryman on the bench, burning big CDs. Call the doctor, call an ambulance, but it's not for me. Where the sickles were despicable, and that's why we scream. Yes, ah, 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 ah. Yes, it's the face of the but you can cure our disease. Call the doctor, call an ambulance, but it's not for me. Where the sickles were despicable, and that's why we scream. Yes, ah, 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 ah. Yes, please lose, let me hear you, ha, ha, ha. Habs lose, let me hear you, ha, ha, ha. Soup crew, let me hear you, ha, ha, ha. Chimney stew, let me hear you, ha, ha, ha. Sparta Cat, let me hear you, ha ha ha. Martin Havlat, let me hear you, ha ha ha. Mark Mathot, let me hear you, ha ha ha. If it ain't sicko talk, it's just blah blah blah. DJ, take your head and shake it. We can finish in the basement, dress the kids and keep them playing. That's all that's in Twitter saying. We just want more streets to go, skating punks from coast to coast. If you wanna watch it, dub, we'll subscribe to Crunchyroll. Well, let's just make one thing clear. Winning must begin next year. Feel that we'll be standing here, sporting our sicko gear. Living through your window panes, kind of link through every game. Go, Saints, go. But you can cure our disease. Call the doctor, call an ambulance, but it's not for me. Where the sickles were despicable, and that's why we scream. Yes, ah, 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 ah. Yes. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Sends Hour podcast. It's Shane alongside Derek, who is back after missing the last episode where we had Neil from the State of Mind podcast covering the devils and just before we get going just to let you guys know we are still sponsored by DraftKings, your number one spot for your daily draft uh daily fantasy draft for hockey super easy to do it go in select six skaters uh, all under the salary cap watch you win uh go up to climbing boards with how your players perform win cash uh you can do it for free if you want a trial run that's fine remember to use th Code THPN uh, with their first deposit to get a free entry into any of their tournaments. But, you know, we also have, just so you know, we do have James uh, Marish coming on around 9 o'clock. Uh, so in about 20 minutes or so to talk uh, sense, sense sickos, everything else he's done. But, Derek, thank you for coming back. Uh, we missed you last episode. And we have some hockey to talk about. There's been some interesting developments with the Senators uh, the last couple of days. Absolutely. Hey, it was fun watching you and Neil go back and forth there on the last episode. So uh, I got some enjoyment out of that. And unfortunately, I've been extremely busy lately. But was to uh, Senators stuff, but I'm back and talking to you about uh, about the Sens because there's a lot of positivity lately. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of positivity. There's been mixed some, uh, some mixed in with negativity after the uh, last night game. Rightfully, does like rightfully. Unrightfully, that that's an opinion on that. We all have our opinions on that game. But we'll start with the, the 5-1 win over Calgary. And personally, in my opinion, that was the best game Ottawa has played all season. They were dominant all 60 minutes. They had a hiccup on the Lucci's goal, but most, like they responded very well after that Lucci's goal. 
Yeah, for whatever reason, the Senators really like to play the Flames this year. And it just seems like, you know, that's the team that struggles the most against the the Senators. And uh, it, it just goes to show that you can't take a night off when you're playing the Ottawa Senators. And especially now, I mean, they've really worked themselves to a point where they're actually competitive in this division. And it re- it's a shame about the slow start because they probably would be right in that mix with the other teams for that bottom playoff spot. Um, But yeah, I agree. It was a solid game all around. I thought Matt Murray played his best game as a Senator as well. Uh, That first period where it was a little bit slow of a start for the Senators, Matt Murray really bailed them out. So uh, props to Murray on his best uh, start for the Senators. Yeah, I mean, were you surprised that they started Murray? Because honestly, I was. I thought they were going to go to the court against Calgary and then give Murray, who's had a really good time against Montreal the start in Montreal and that's not to say that Decord played bad against Montreal because he didn't he played really well but it was just on seeing you know generally coaches want their players to play against teams that they've had success against and it was interesting yeah I think there might have been a hesitancy to even play Decord whatsoever even though they were entering back-to-back games um, and he was bound to get the net. But even after Murray had uh, had won out against the Flames, um, when they went to DJ Smith with the question as to who was going to start the next game, he was still kind of leaning towards Murray and said he would talk to him in the morning just to see kind of how rested he was. And, you know, sure enough, Joey Decord gets the start against the Montreal Canadiens. So um, I was surprised, though, uh, a little bit. I did think Decord would go against the Flames. Um, and if Decord played the way that he played against the Canadians, against the Flames, then they probably would have won that game 5-1, to one, just the same as uh, the score was against uh, Murray. Yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, Decord, I think, you look at him play in the AHL, you know, I watched both his games. He did not look sharp. He kind of did not. And, and you could say that, oh, the team in front of him isn't the greatest. And they had a short camp, which if you're a defense, a goalie and a defense pair, if you don't have that connection, we saw it with Ottawa as a whole where they just struggled to communicate with each other. Um, but he, he struggled in his two appearances in, uh, in Belleville and then comes up here and plays a damn near perfect game the other night on the second end of a back-to-back in a 2-1 loss. Yeah, he was, he was a brick wall back there. And again, with Murray um, you know, dominating the first period against the Calgary Flames, I thought Decord dominated the first period against the Montreal Canadiens and really gave the Sens a chance to win uh, in that game. And and he looked phenomenal. I mean, that's his second ever NHL start. You could really, you could just see the athleticism, the confidence in making some of those saves. He's out to the top of his crease every time. He's trapping, trapping pucks really well. Like I just thought all around, I thought Joey Decord was their best player yesterday. And um, it wasn't a huge surprise that the goaltender was the best player in, in the fact that it was a back-to-back and they had played three games in four nights. Um, so it was a really busy stretch and I wasn't expecting a great effort from the Senators last night. And that's why I'm not really overreacting to the loss because I thought they were in the game the whole time. Yeah, and obviously we're gonna people are going to look at that five-minute situation with Good Branson, which we can all admit was horrible. You know, we everyone can just come out and say, you know, that was a bad five minutes. And it happens. You know, we see it every time where, where star players have those incidences. Uh, you know, below average players have those plays. It happens in hockey. It's just something that happens. 
But I I can't really sit here and say that's the reason why we lost the game. We had our chances. Batherson hit the post. Uh, Shabbat got in the middle of a Stutzla pass that could have given Batherson a wide open net. Like Ottawa had chances to score and just couldn't couldn't capitalize. So yeah, we lost two one, but. You know, we had chances to score, and we just couldn't capitalize. And again, that hurts us with another regulation loss. Yeah, I mean, going back to the good Branson thing, I thought it was just a lazy play that he didn't gain center. I'm not really sure why he didn't. He had all kinds of space and decided to dump it in early. It was a, a bit of a just a gap, I guess, just, a, you know, one of those mind gaps. And it happens from time to time. And everyone, you know, everyone probably does it from time to time, no matter who you are as a player. Um, but it, unfortunately, it, it coupled with the fact that DJ Smith decided to put him back out there. And I thought that was interesting. Um, as much as we could blame Good Branson for that, that five-minute stretch that cost us the game that you're talking about, you could also blame DJ Smith for the deployment. I mean, he had Tierney and... Um, good Branson back on the ice killing a penalty after they spent two minutes chasing the puck in their own end by choice I mean he had them on by choice and then you saw I mean that sequence of events you saw it of course Branstrom takes a penalty and good Branson goes to clear the puck on the PK and he just doesn't have enough strength left because he's been on the ice for like three minutes at this point um, in the middle of killing a penalty and that's what uh, what costs you the game yeah I mean, it's just it's one of those incidences where if it happened to Shabbat, if it ha- it could have happened to anyone, it just unfortunately happened to Good Branson. And I think we can all agree that you know maybe it's time for him to take a seat in the press box for for a game. I know he's wearing the A, and that's probably not something we're going to see. You can make the argument that you know is Josh Brown even better than Good Branson at this point? Who knows? Uh, is double shifting Zaitsev or Zub in that kind of situation ideal? Probably not. Uh, you know, it, it's really interesting to see how DJ Smith handles these kind of situations because he's is kind of hand tied to a certain extent. Yeah, I think you're trying to teach that you know that earn it mentality and that we've seen it before where he's punished some of the younger players for making similar mistakes. Um, and they've had to sit and, and look at the game, you know, from the press box for a game and then come back and draw back in. Um, so if the message is going to be clearly kind of equal to the whole team, then Gid Branson would sit. But at the same time, do you trust Willannon and Brandstrom and Shabbat all on the, uh, on the team at the same time, like three offensive options? Or do you go for like a Josh Brown who hasn't played for a long time and when he has, has struggled probably more than Good Branson. So his options are kind of limited there. Like you said, Good Branson's wearing the A. I expect him to be in the lineup next game. Um, I don't think there will be any changes when it comes to Good Branson. Um, and it was rumored, you know, earlier on in the week that uh, Good Branson might be longer term here in Ottawa than just a one off. Which I don't see an issue with it. Uh, realistically, I think you have to look at who who do we have in the line in the system as a right-handed defenseman right now, right? There's no guarantee that Bernard Docker signs. Um, you don't know what you have in Lassie Thompson. You don't really have much options. You have Zaitsev, but there's a good chance that he gets left exposed, or maybe he does get picked up by Seattle. Uh, you're most likely going to re-sign Zub, obviously. Uh, so who who do you rely on on the right side 
if you don't want to move Branstrom there. And if you do move Branstrom there, who does he play with on the left side? You're not going to put Branstrom and Shabbat. You're not nope. going to put Wallanen or Riley or unless Sanderson comes up. Like, yeah, that's, me, like, that's it. That's the scenario right there. That would, that's why, you know, good Branson, if he does come back, it's probably a one year deal. Probably. Um, just gap filling until Sanderson is ready. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where, Hey, it is what it is. It's unfortunate. Um, but he's not stopping anyone from being in the lineup. Like we'll have, you know, you know, we'll have Josh Brown there most likely next year. Like, let's be honest. He's signed a two year deal for expansion purposes, really. Cause he's probably a guy they thought could be exposed and meet the exposure requirements. Might not be the case at this rate, but you look at who we have on our roster and look at, and if you look at the right-handed depth, uh, you know, right-handed defenseman free agency list, it's not very good. Mm-hmm. There's Vertanen, uh, Montour, and Dougie Hamilton are the three big names. And if you don't, and Vertanen's 30, I believe. Dougie Hamilton's, I believe, 28. And Brandon Martor is 26. If none of those guys fit your long-term plans, you're not going to sign them. Yeah, I mean, Dougie Hamilton is likely going to re-sign in Carolina anyway, but he would be easily the best defenseman on the market if if he hit free agency, and he would be a great spot uh, for Thomas Shabbat. I just think the likelihood of him accepting, you know, coming to a rebuilding spot in, in Ottawa, it's kind of unlikely. You know, yeah, sorry, my cat literally just fell off the couch. Oh, I love when that happens. <laughs> he was stretching and literally just rolled himself off the couch. Sorry, I just no, it's great. Funny. I love when they do that. <laughs> when just cats like screw up, they just you know, they have their mind on something and they go and they pounce at it and then they screw up and they end up on their head. It's hilarious, <laughs> it really is because you don't see it happen very often. No, nope. um, but yeah, like. I agree. I think Hamilton's staying in, in Carolina. I, don't, I think Carolina would be stupid to let him go. Uh, and I don't know. I, I mean, Lassie Thompson has been good in Belleville for what I've seen of him. But what's, what is the worst thing that happens if we sign, let's say we sign good Branson to a one-year deal. Um, we have, and we, we lose Zaitsev and we bring in Montour on a three-year deal. What's the worst thing that happens? You know, we have if especially if JBD comes in and, and doesn't or doesn't come in, like what's the worst thing that happens if we do re-sign Good Branson? Yeah, as long as it's a one-year deal, I don't think it's the worst thing ever. I think you know DJ is going to have to find a way to limit his minutes and increase. You know, whether it's JBD or Branstrom um, or Will Lannon, if you see him in the long term, I honestly do not. But um, you know the younger players that are going that are going to be the core moving forward, they just have to see an increase in minutes. So, uh, but they have to show that they're capable of, of doing that first. So I think gradually the idea is that Brandstrom's going to, you know, build himself up to take on more of those minutes. Uh, hopefully JBD can come and transfer right away into the NHL, but maybe he needs some seasoning in the AHL first just to get a taste of pro hockey. And that's all right too. There's also Lassie Thompson down there. Um, and it's a wait and see kind of, you know, how he can rebound from a really, really bad stretch for him. Um, so there's, there's options there, but there's also, you know, it, it does seem like it's a year away from, 
the big guys really coming and stepping in. Yeah, and I mean, I, I personally have no issue with it, but here's a question. Riley and Zub have been probably one of the best pairs Ottawa has had in the last two to three years. Uh, they work well off each other. They seem to under they they've seemed to break in that language barrier, and they kind of seem to understand where each other are going to be when they're on the ice together. The original plan, from my understanding, was Ottawa's going to look to to sell off Riley uh, come trade deadline. Yeah, I I don't, I, I don't think that's going to happen, and he could easily be back next year. Yeah, he he's won the spot over Willannon. I think it was between you know it was really between him and Willannon. And Riley's emerged as a much better defender than Willannon. Um, and then the offensive output really isn't much different either uh, at this stage. And it's too bad because I think Willannon was on his way to becoming a really solid top 4D before the injury. Um, but to me, he hasn't returned to form. And I agree with you. I don't think Ottawa's no, I don't think they're, they're selling Riley any longer. I think he's going to stay for at least another season. And uh, it works really well with Zub. I mean, him and Zub are playing very, very well together. Like you said, I think Zub could have that effect on a lot of people. Um, just with the, he's he's a perfect complementary piece to a lot of offensive defensemen. Yeah, I hundred percent agree on that. I would like to see him play with with Brandstrom a little bit, just to kind of see what would happen. But it kind of goes back to the whole Gabranson thing. If you're going to limit uh, a player's minutes, especially five on five. Generally, that means, you know, double shifting players and whatnot. I can see Good Branson being taken off the penalty kill potentially, but how would you? How else would you limit Good Branson's numbers without it would affect directly or indirectly affecting Branstrom's numbers at this point? Yeah, it's tough to do. I mean, Branstrom gets right now he gets secondary power play minutes, and that's where he gets some of his minutes from. Um, I see what you're saying, but uh, at the same time, you know, Riley and Zub, who we were just talking about, they play less than Good Branson right now. So I think they're the two kind of easy option that you could just increase their minutes. Uh, and then Shabbat and Zaitsev, obviously, they play a, a ton as is. So you can't really increase the amount of deployment that Thomas Shabbat gets right now. Uh, that would just be absurd. But, uh, but just limiting Good Branson to a third line role, and maybe that means, like you said, double shifting Zoo. Maybe he comes out with uh, Branstrom once in a while, and uh, and the penalty kill. Maybe Good Branson instead of playing a primary role in the PK, maybe Zoo gets that role instead. Yeah, I agree. I mean, at the end of yesterday's game, we saw Zoo and Branstrom, or no, Riley and Branstrom on the ice together, with Branstrom playing the right side. So I know. DJ has been saying, oh, we, we are not going to put him there. But could we easily see that change over the next two months? You know, I think that's really up to Brandstrom. I think he has to he has to be showing that he's at least comfortable on the left side first before they're willing to really move him over. Um, but I, I think that's a glimpse. It's a small glimpse into where the Senators see Brandstrom in the future, and it makes a lot more sense to us. Uh, if he's playing the right side with Jake Sanderson coming up. You know, of course, we have JBD on the right side as well that could very well be a long-term partner for Thomas Shabbat, but we don't know how that's going to work either. Um, so there's a lot of question marks when it comes to the decor, and that's one of the major ones that we've been talking about for quite some time. 
Um, and I think it's up to Brandstrom to answer that question. Nobody else. Yeah, I mean, I understand DJ's thought process on players playing on their strong side because we saw Vegas, uh, even like last playoffs the year before, they had like five right or five left-hand defensemen and only one right-handed defenseman. So playing um, on the right side on your offhand, you're taking that pass around the boards, whatever the case may be, on the backhand, which if you're a defenseman, that's not what you want. You do not want to be accepting a pass on the blue line with your backhand, which is why DJ Smith has been relatively re- uh, hesitant on putting Branstrom in that situation. Yeah, the other part to that is that you're also sending the pass on your backhand a lot of the times. If you're if you're trying to go through the middle of the ice for a short kind of support pass, um, it's going to be on your backhand. So you're just going to have to be really comfortable unless you haul back and then pull it to your backhand or pull it back to your forehand. But then you're you're uh, creating a bit of a, a time gap there for the offense to to reattack. So uh, for me, yeah, it, it's a tough position to play for anyone, especially for a 21 year old. But uh, Brandstrom's the one that approached the team in saying that he's the one that's you know he's comfortable playing that offside. So they have to at least try it, uh, and I think they will. I think they'll give it a shot. I think they'll experiment with it. If it doesn't work out, then. I don't know where Brandstrom fits in the long-term picture. I mean, we've said this before. We've talked about, you know, the fact that Brandstrom's really, really good, but at the same time, so is Jake Sanderson. And if you have to pick one of them, it's Jake Sanderson. Oh, 100%. I think most people can sit here and say, if you had to trade one, uh, trade one, keep one, cut one out of Sanderson, JBD, and Brandstrom, I feel like uh Branstrom would be the traded one. JBD would be the cut one. And Sanderson would be the the keep easily. Yeah, for sure. He's a fifth overall pick. And, you know, they have high hopes for Jake Sanderson. And I think he showed that he looks like the real deal. Yeah, I think so. And it's going to be interesting for Sanderson. You know, he he could go back to UND, which I think we all, we're all expecting, right? I'm, I'm expecting yeah. him to go back to UND. Play one more, at least one more year. Go to the World Juniors, probably where at least an A uh, with the World Juniors next year could be the C. Maybe, hopefully, not win a gold because obviously, you know, Canada, we want Canada to win a gold. But maybe just get a silver. You already have a gold. You can get a silver. There you go. No problem. But you know, he comes in one year out, like one year later. Branstrom has a chance to either prove it or you're gone, kind of situation. It's going to be very interesting. But I do have a question for you before we go to break, and we'll bring it up with James when he joins us. Eichel, obviously, (laughs) massive talks. Massive, Mm -hmm. massive talks. New York, the Rangers Mm -hmm. are, I think, the the forefront. My understanding, everyone in the league thinks that New York is going to land Eichel. Sabanajad is a UFA next at the end of next season. Where do you like would you see Sabanajad and an Ottawa reunion? And if so, do you think it's beneficial to Ottawa? Um, no. So uh no to both. I don't I don't see a Zabanajad reunion with the Ottawa Senators. Um, I don't think it's gonna happen. Honestly, I don't know that Ottawa needs to go out and get a center any longer. Um, the more I'm looking at this young core, the more I'm thinking that the forward group is almost set. Um, they will need to, 
to my, I, I don't know, my vantage point, what I see right now, they need a finisher. Zabanajad can definitely finish. Um, you know, Tim Stutzla, there's a question mark as to whether he's going to transfer to center or stay at the wing. Uh, you and I both are on the same train here in that we think he's more suited as a winger. Um, we've talked about that before, but ultimately we still have Shane Pinto coming. Colin White looks pretty good. Um, I, I just don't see a major need for a center, especially with the emergence of Josh Norris. Um, so to me, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't see Zabanajad coming back to Ottawa, especially with how it kind of ended there in Ottawa. Um, I think he'll go somewhere else. I, I feel like someone else will need him more. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I, I'd be interested to see what would happen if he does hit the market and how the development goes with Norris and Pinto and whatnot. But it'd be fun to see him back in an Ottawa uniform with this young core, in my opinion. I think it'd be one of those fun things to see, but I don't see it happening. Yeah, I agree. I, I would definitely, you know, I would love it. I would love to see it for sure, especially if he signed as a UFA. Um, yeah. you know, so you don't have to give up any assets, but I'm sure the Rangers will, you know, make a move before that happens. And maybe the team that acquires him will sign him long-term. Most likely, but we have uh, James waiting in the back room. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, here are the guys from the Red Wings rant, uh, covering the Detroit Red Wings or trying to cover the Detroit Red Wings through their rebuild. So we'll be right back after this quick message from them. And then we'll be, uh, with James on the other side. He's my brother, Mike. He's my brother, Matt. And we are the brothers of discussion hosting Red Wings Rant, where tirades and impassioned pleas about your Detroit Red Wings finally have a hope. In a season mired in tragedy and despair, we are here to be your audible Earl Grey, to bring joy, placidity, and perspective to one of the roughest eras of Red Wing history. Ah! We honor the past, find the positives in the present. I swear they're there. And paint the picture of what's to come in the Winged Wheels future. Paul Woods here on the radio broadcast of your Detroit Red Wings, and I'm going to play games like Who's That, Who's that Come on? Where Matt has to try and guess quotes pulled right out of context for Jeff Blashaw, and we got to figure out who that Red Wing is. <laughs> Every episode, we put ourselves in the legendary shoes of Steve Iserman and play Be the GM. Finding ways to ice a competitive team while accumulating assets for the franchise's future. We also shoot the breeze. Some of the great local and national voices in Red Wings hockey, including Ken Kell and Keith Gave and Greg Wyshynski and Ryan Lambert. Check us out every Monday and Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. And check us out live every Wednesday and Sunday for Red Wings reactions and live conversations with you on our YouTube channel, The Brothers of Discussion. Wow, they uh, they definitely put in more effort to that than <laughs> we did. I kind of feel a little um, a little amateurish, not going to lie. But we they're great guys. <laughs> yeah, I think next time we're going to do a lot better on that. We're going to put in some more effort. But great work by them. They're actually great. I've had a conversation with Matt plenty of times. He's a great guy. Definitely go ahead and uh, check them out if you like a little bit funny stuff. They also have a wrestling podcast, which I've quite enjoyed as, an, as someone who's been in and out of the wrestling scene. But with further ado, we're going to bring in uh, James Mellish, who, if you all know, you should all know him by now. He has a bunch of Sense parodies. His latest one, the Sense Sickos one, which we he allowed us to use as our intro and outro, has taken it by storm. Uh, James, thank you for joining us today. 
I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I know uh, you and Derek set it up. Uh, I'm digging the, uh, I believe that's the Alfredson jersey. I don't know if you put your own name on it, but I'm assuming with the C it's Alfredson. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, uh, it was a Christmas present all the way back in probably, probably 07, if I had to guess. Yeah, that would, that seems about right. <laughs> James, I've got to ask you one thing. How in the hell did you become a Sens fan living out in St. Louis? Uh, so the the wild story was um, back in uh, 03 or 04. I, I forget because I think that uh, the like sports video games release a year earlier, sort of how like car model years are. But yeah. um I was sleeping over at a friend's house and we would always uh, rent either a movie or a video game from Blockbuster. So we're really dating ourselves here. Uh, back. <laughs> yeah. And he really wanted to rent NHL 2004, which had just come out. And I have always been uh, like a sports guy in general, but I knew nothing about hockey. So I protested, but he played the whole, like, I'm the host. I get to decide what we do card. So uh, we rented it, and he played that host card again and played as the Blues, and only one of us can play as the Blues. So I'm, like, cycling through the teams, and uh, I've always been, like, a collector of random stuff. You know, I was into, like, Pokemon. I was into Yu-Gi-Oh! And I also uh, would pick up random sports cards here and there as a kid. So I did actually have some hockey cards and I had a Peter Bondra card from when he played with the Capitals. And I thought that their jerseys were really cool. So I actually was looking for them when I was going through the Jersey selection and I find the senators, which like, of course me not knowing about hockey, I'm like, how many politically themed teams can there be? This must be the one I'm looking for. Um, and I still thought that the Senators jerseys were really cool. So I picked them and uh, we played that matchup of blues against Senators like over and over again into the wee hours of that night and had a blast. And I had so much fun. I bought the game for myself the next day and started a franchise with the Senators. And so I thought, well, you know, I should see if these guys are any good in real life. And Yes. Yes. They were extremely good at that time. And so my, um, my like affection and my following of the team just increased more and more from there. Man, that's a wild story. That's gotta be one of the wildest stories of how anyone became a sense fan. And, and you didn't jump ship when the blues won the cup. That's incredible. <laughs> no, actually, you know, I'm such a, uh, such a sicko that I was rooting for the Sharks to beat the Blues just uh, so that we could get that other first rounder from them. Yeah, that's fair. I was in the in the same boat as that. So, okay, so we got how you became a Suns fan uh, down. How did you become? How did the parody start? <laughs> so I I actually um, put out like a mega thread uh, last night about sort of like my weird history with music and stuff like that. But um, to get more directly to that question, uh, like I've always enjoyed writing 
like poetry and songs and like really playing around with kind of like the format of that type of stuff. And um, so I was struggling to find ways to like challenge myself musically over the years. And so I guess that would have been two years ago or a year and a half. I have no concept of time anymore from the pandemic. Um, I was playing the card game Magic the Gathering on sort of like a semi-professional level. And um, I had like a really high tournament finish. Uh, I was sixth out of about a thousand people at an open tournament in Columbus. And so I decided I was going to write a parody of uh, Cardi B's Bodak Yellow um, and like theme that parody around the deck that I had like put up that high finish with. And I had a lot of fun making that parody uh, and just like trying to squeeze a joke out of like every line that I could really like pushing myself. Um, but um, as the pandemic hit and I was kind of shifting to like focus more on my professional life um, that my uh, like competitive uh, pursuits with magic fell by the wayside. So I was like, well, I still want to write this music. I still want to write parodies. And I was seeing these songs that Brian five or six had been putting out over the years, which are not parodies, but they're just like these goofy little things that he was like singing in his car and stuff. So I said, you know, I should just start writing stuff about the sends because I've like been lurking sends Twitter for like two years. Let's get involved here. And so I, I wrote that quick parody about the upcoming draft because that's all that everybody was thinking about. And uh, that was just the type of splash that I was looking for to be like, hey, I'm here. I want to I wanna hang out with everybody. <laughs> so, Yeah. I mean, Inspired hey, by it. Brian five or six. Like, that's just great. <laughs> that's hey, what amazing. I- Whatever inspired him, we'll take it because his parodies have been amazing. <laughs> I don't think I've I've seen something unite since Twitter as much as your parodies have over the last like year and a bit. <laughs> well, I, I I've been like I could not believe the response that has come, even with the first one that I put out. You know, I had hardly tweeted at all before putting that out, you know, if I had to guess, I would say that the most likes I had on a single tweet preceding that was probably seven, maybe, I I don't know. Um, And so I was so nervous when I released that. So I basically like released it, made sure that like the video was working and everything. And then I went on a walk for like an hour with my girlfriend. I was just like, I don't want to see what happens if it just like crashes and burns. I don't want to know. And uh, so I got back from the walk and opened up my phone and I had like the 20 plus max notifications thing. And I was like, holy, what the hell happened? Well, thank you for releasing those because that like the start of it was incredible. You've got to be one of the fastest climbing sends accounts on Twitter. I mean, it, it was, I kind of remember when the first one came out because I remember retweeting it. And yeah, it's it's been crazy fast. What's that ride been like for you since that first release to now? Because 
it seems like the quality every time it gets better and better and the one-liners and everything you know in the lyrics you're like a lyrical genius what's that ride been like for you <laughs> well thanks um you know i i am definitely a perfectionist um and so i i feel like i've really squeezed a lot out of the fact that um my setup is literally just i have like a fairly nice live performance mic that i borrowed from my dad and then just garage band that's it <laughs> um and and i even mentioned that like when i made that we taken both of the very first parody uh my setup was even worse i was using uh like my mic was the usb mic that came with the video game rock band from like years ago you remember that <laughs> and and oh yeah and furthermore the mic was like partially like chewed on or something so occasionally it would die when i was recording and i had to like smack it and do another take so wow i can't believe i even was able to release that first song um but yeah i i always try to like i said i i try to have uh like my my advanced stats up i try to always have impressive jokes per 60 um and you know I'll, I'll write like a first draft of a song where i try to my goal is just to have like every um every line or every like couplet of lines um all be fitting like the overarching theme of the song and then once i have that all laid out then i start going back over it once i have that big picture and i say okay like this line that I have right here, it's just kind of like stating a fact, you know, it's saying like, oh, we came back from five to one or whatever. Everybody knows we came back five to one. How can I say this in like the dumbest, weirdest, funnest <laughs> way that I can possibly fathom? And then I just like sit there crunching it over until I have like that great setup punchline type of thing. So I have to blame you for keeping me up last night because on Twitter last night, you you went on and you made a live video and it, it went something like zoob, 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 zoob. And that was friggin' playing in my head all night. I couldn't get out of my head. Is there an Artem Zoob hit coming up soon or was that just uh, just a one-off, James? Well, well, I did have my, uh, my zooby, zooby, zoob, like Scooby-Doo parody that I did. Um, that was of Artem Zub. And then further after that, I had like the Zub cut where like almost every word is Zub. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there was just like Zub mania all over, like around that time that I had first released that. Not because of it, but, you know, that was me capitalizing on it. And so it was actually all the way back then, I guess that was all the way like two weeks ago or whenever. Um, <laughs> And so it was actually at that time that I had also thought of the uh, like zoob zoob zoob. I want you or I want to join your crew. Like I thought of that parody at that time, um, but I was like, I don't know if I want to do two whole parodies like close together that cover like the same subject matter. So I was like, let me just slip that idea in my pocket. Um, and then when everybody was going like nuts last night after the zoob goal i was like you know what 
uh, let's let's just throw this out here. You know, like people haven't seen like really a live video of me ever, so this will be kind of a new wrinkle in my uh, like arsenal here. Is this like impromptu parody? And uh, it was a hit, so that was great. <laughs> no, I I actually loved it though. That was great. Yeah, the the stuff is fantastic. But let's get into some actual sense talk. You were here, you were here before the break. You heard us talking about the the Zibanejad back coming back or not. What's your take? Would you want Zibanejad back? Do you think it'd be good to have him back, or are you like, eh, forget about it? I mean, my honest answer is it seems super unlikely that he would come back, but if we're going to operate in a fantasy realm where I can just say like, click the box, yes or no, bring back Mika Zibanejad, then I'm going to click the yes on that. (laughs) I mean, I do know that he has been struggling this season and I saw some people kind of theorizing that it was, uh, I don't know whether it was public or not that he, was it public that he had COVID or is that just pure speculation? Okay, no, it was public. Yeah, so I don't know what's going to happen with that. I don't know if he's going to recover and, like, pop off at some point here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as long as he would want to be back, I mean, I think that would be a pretty ring endorsement uh, for somebody in his position to kind of been, like, thrown out the door unceremoniously and been, like, Wow, I love Ottawa so much that even after that, I'm going to come back. So, I mean, hey, you get to play with Kachuk and Stutzler. That could be enough to, <laughs> to warrant a comeback. Yeah. Well, that, that's something that we haven't really had outside of Eric Carlson. We haven't had, well, and I guess like Stone, but he was so underappreciated. We haven't had these, uh, we haven't had multiple players like in the NHL spotlight that other players would say, yeah, I'd be interested in coming in order to play with those people. So what's your take on the team? Like, are you as optimistic as Shane and I are that starting next year, this is actually going to be a pretty good team or do you see this as more of a kind of wait and see still, where are you at with this young core? I would definitely say I lean more on the optimistic side. I am even at the point where, You know, I think it's kind of funny how opposing teams are still, uh, like, having their brains melt when they lose to us as if it's like, how can we lose to the Senators? I'm like, you know, the team doesn't suck that much anymore. It was just that that stretch at the beginning of the season where DJ was making incomprehensible lineup decisions. You know, we're not that team anymore. So, And the goaltending isn't letting in every single shot anymore. So, you know, I think already I, I was actually tuned in for, uh, for the show from, from the outset tonight. And so I heard uh, you saying Derek that, you know, it's a shame that we had that terrible stretch at the outset, because if it wasn't for that, we could be like close to a 500 hockey team. And I think that is the true like potential of this roster as it stands right now would be like a roughly 500 team. And that's pretty good in my opinion, considering like the trajectory that we're supposed to be on. So 
Yeah, and a large number of these players, like the core players, are 22 years and and under. I mean, with the exclusion of Thomas Shabbat. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really young team. I agree with everything you said there. I think the goaltending really did hold us back. DJ Smith, um, you know, we talked about that a lot too previously, how he's also a young coach. So as much as we have young players on this team, we also have a young coach who's still learning to coach at this level. Um, and you're seeing kind of all of that come together at once and you're still seeing some lapses. So what was your take on the Good Branson thing and the DJ Smith sort of decision to throw him out there for the PK? Because I thought that was a little bit of yesterday's DJ Smith with the deployment issues again. Yeah, that's the type of stuff where I just like, I don't, I, I can't even come up with like a weird backwards logic explanation for that. Uh, <laughs> it's, you, even if you try to say like, oh, it's just that he's like, set in his ways where he's saying like only good Branson and Zaitsev are allowed to play on the penalty kill in terms of right-handed defenders, you know, like how set could you possibly be in that opinion? It's not like Zub is um, like young Eric Carlson or something where it's like, Oh my God, what's this guy possibly going to do on the penalty kill? You know, like he is more of a defensive defender Anyway, like, I just, <laughs> maybe, you know, the, the only explanation I can think of for why he wouldn't want him to be on the penalty kill is maybe it's because they are um, kind of, like, over-exaggerating the impact that the language barrier has on his play. And maybe they're thinking, like, okay, the penalty kill has to be really unified and has to be communicating clearly to each other and Zub can't communicate with the other penalty killers. And so that's going to lead to a breakdown really quickly or something. And that logic maybe has like some basis in fact, I don't know, but like literally put anybody out there other than Good Branson, I was mortified at that choice. <laughs> No, that's something I never even considered that language barrier um, and how it plays to, you know, special teams, like you said, where it has to be a little bit more structured and there has to be, you know, an increased amount of communication. But you would think at this point in the season, you know, he would have his X's and O's figured out. I, I would say at this point, he's been on the team long enough. But uh, but yeah, that's that's a good point. I haven't even thought about. Yeah, the language barrier is always going to be tough. But I mean, if you put him out with Zaitsev, it shouldn't be an issue. Yeah. Although that's, then that's, oh God, two right-handed defenders. Like <laughs> <laughs> then we're just getting stuck and stubborn. And, and, you know, we talked about that earlier too, with uh, Eric Brandstrom and their sort of unwillingness to slide him over to the right side. But, you know, if he fits in the long, long-term picture, you might need to slide him over to the right-hand side. So, um, so we're, we were just kind of talking about where, you know, where and when does Brandstrom slide over to the right side and does he, and if he doesn't, does that mean he's gone? Yeah. I, that is so frustrating to me because, um, you know, we're doing this whole, like, I don't even know, I guess you would call it like experiment maybe of, of like trying to get him to play the left side, you know, like that's what they want him to do. But like, that's not, where he would even fit in long-term. Like you were saying, you know, if we're focusing on the long-term, 
then we would want him to be mastering the right side. And, you know, we've, we've heard, um, like I heard um, Troy Mann when he was on the Common Sense podcast with Haley Salvian and Graham Nichols, mm-hmm. he was talking about how uh, he doesn't like having uh, left shot players on the right side. And, and you were explaining, you know, oh, they have to, it takes them just like that extra like half second um, to switch handedness to like get the puck out and everything. But my, my counter argument to that, which I guess is admittedly kind of a flimsy one, but you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs who have like more money than God and definitely a better like advanced stats team than we do. And that team is choosing to put a lot of responsibility on TJ Brody to be a left-handed defenseman on the right side. And they're totally fine with that. So if a team with that amount of resources who can pretty much do whatever they want is saying, yeah, that's the situation we want, then who the hell are we, the broke-ass senators, <laughs> saying that, like, no, 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 we can't possibly do this. Like, we know it's right. I don't know. I mean, in, in case of Brody, he did start out on the left side with Calgary and then got moved to the right as he kind of got ex- more experienced on the left. And then maybe that's something that happens with Branstrom. Maybe it's a little – it's a situation where get comfortable on the left side so we know you can play there. And when Sanderson comes in, we'll pair you on the right side with Sanderson and then go from there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, one thing that um, is interesting and admittedly so, like, I never played hockey, so my, uh, my like, hockey theory is definitely not top tier. It's all just observed or, like – sponge from listening to different things. Um, But so we obviously know that when a forward plays the off wing, that means that they're a shooter, basically. Like that's generally the only reason why that happens because it's easier uh, to get off one timers and great shots. Well, one of the things that I frequently hear complimented within the skill set of Brandstrom is how he's able to thread through those like, uh, like skilled wrist shots from the point that kind of like they sometimes go in like they did recently, but a lot of the time they just kind of like create chaos or deflections or tips or whatever. And so if one of his great skills is like frequently shooting, then maybe him being on his offside helps set him up for like quickly getting a shot off after a pass from uh, his defense partner. I don't know. I don't, Maybe you can correct me on that bit of like hockey theory, but yeah, no, I mean, you're not wrong. It, like in the offensive zone, it makes a lot of sense to have him play his offside. Uh, would make a lot of sense for a lot of people, and and sometimes you do see them switch. Like you will if they have good offensive zone time, uh, they've created enough of a cycle and they've established themselves uh, offensively. You even see Shabbat switch sometimes, or just ride the top of uh, of the blue line, just right in the middle. Uh, and creating himself, you know, an open opportunity for a one-time option. But uh, the same thing could be said. I think it does placate to the offensive zone. And I think the Senators are probably trying to teach the defensive zone first um, because they know that Brandstrom has the offensive capabilities that he has. Yeah, and I mean, it's not to say it. Like, Brandstrom has been obviously not as bad as Good Branson defensively, but he still gets muscled off of pucks easier. 
And if putting him on the offside m- makes you feel like he's more of a liability defensively than he is on the sh- on his strong side per se, then you got to if you want him playing, that's what you got to do, right? If you want him playing in the NHL, I think if if he barks up and kind of gets stronger in the, like against the boards, him being on the offside should be no issue in the next two three years. Yeah, and I think some of that is just physics, right? Like, Kid Branson is huge, and Branstrom is not huge. <laughs> um, so, you know, he's going to get knocked off of pucks. He's not a defensive defenseman. He's going to, uh, you know, every bit of his game is an offensive game, and every bit of his skill is geared towards an offensive game. So I do think the Senators need to put him in a in a position where he could play an offensive game, and eventually it will be on the right side. Yeah, I think putting him with Sanderson in the future is definitely something we should get used to and or, or open our mind to. And if that happens, our top four could possibly be one of the best, but also be one of the most expensive top fours in the NHL. Yeah, absolutely, down the line. Uh, so, James, uh, what's your opinion on who the, the best Sens player has been so far this season? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's probably got to be Brady just because, um, you know, I would have expected it to be Shabbat going into the season, but I think, you know, that's not even a hot take at this point. I think a lot of people have pointed out how he hasn't seemed – as dominant as usual this season so far. And I don't really know. I don't know if anybody even really has a theory for why that is uh, at this point. Um, Not that he's been terrible, but just that he hasn't been like the far and away best player, but, you know, Brady has been really consistent as he always is. And uh, you know, even if he's not uh, like hitting the score sheet, he's always, I guess, making those character plays and stuff. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I was going to say something else, but I forgot. <laughs> oh, I was going to say that I really wish that he would get put in a better situation to succeed than he has been lately. Um, insofar as like, when he's been with uh, like Tierney and Brown, it's not like a bad line, but it just kind of mm. feels like there's yeah. just not a lot happening there. And it, it's difficult to know where to shift things though, because I've really liked the Paul White Dadanov line and I've liked Norris Stutzla Batherson. So I don't really know what is going to happen other than there are people. There, people have said like, oh, you know, throw him on the left, move Stutzla to center and have Batherson on the right, which that could be interesting. But I I understand the people who have a lot of anxieties about pushing Stutzla to center already. So, Yeah, uh, my, my theory on, on the reason why Shabbat hasn't been overly dominant this year is he's taken on such a brunt of the offense from the back end. He doesn't really have the support. Uh, that, you know, some teams might have, like, you know, Kale McCarr has a good amount of support in Colorado. He doesn't have to do everything offensively. We saw how bad our transitions were without Shabbat 
in the lineup for a game. And then Brandstrom kind of started to take over and we started to see a glimpse of what Brandstrom can be. But until Brandstrom hits that level, uh, and we have to remember, Shabbat came into the league at 21. Brandstrom is coming into the league now at 21. He's been in, he played last year a little bit, but he's finally coming into the league. Until Brandstrom comes into that, you know, he's going to take a lot of the brunt of the, the offense on the, from the back end. He's going to get hit a lot. He's going to get pummeled. And he still needs to take care of the defensive side of the ice. So he can't take the same amount of chances as he could, you know, when he was playing behind Carlson. So he's just had to be a lot more responsible. And it's you've seen it kind of him jumping into the play and then it kind of backfiring with like a two-on-o or a two-on-one the other way. I, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I just think some of his passes this season have been a little bit careless. I think he tends to kind of float passes in, and it might be just exhaustion because he's on the ice like all night. Um, but yeah, I agree with what you said, Shane. I think you know there is nobody that can take the brunt of the offensive game away from Thomas Shabbat right now. So it, it really is all in his court. And I mean, to be fair, he's also had chances uh, to get you know like assists or goals that have just kind of missed the net. So it's not like he hasn't been providing offense. It's just we don't have, you know, it's Kachuk could easily have, you know, six, seven more goals. Batherson could have a couple more. Brown could easily have like five more if he knew how to score on a breakaway. Um, so it's not like our guys aren't producing chances. We just haven't been able to capitalize on, capitalize on them. And I think that's why another reason why people don't think Shabbat has been as dominant as people think he should be. Yeah. And, and as for the, you know, the Kachuk with Tierney and Brown, I completely agree with you there, James. I think um, that that's a line that lacks um, dynamic element and Kachuk as good as he is, he's just not really a, a super skilled offensive player. So uh, Tierney and Brown don't really complement his game in the way that Josh Norris did. So in my mind, you put Josh Norris back with Kachuk and for now you just keep, um, you know, keep some tandems together because you have Batherson and Stutzla working well together. I don't think they really need um, Josh Norris in the way that Kachuk needs a Josh Norris to, uh, to get going offensively. I think they can do it even with Anisimov, like dragging him around the ice. They could still produce offensively. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see the line combinations uh, next week when we see Brown back like inserted back into the lineup. Logan Brown. Yeah, there's like it yeah. sounds like DJ Smith has like when they're back in Ottawa. I think after their road trip, he's expect like they're expecting him in the lineup either the Sunday versus Toronto or the Monday versus uh, Vancouver at that point. And if he's in the lineup, probably the Toronto game on the back end of a back to back, him with either Norris or with Kachuk could be different, or him with Stutzla and Batherson and move Norris back up with Kachuk. It opens up a lot for Ottawa. Yeah, I, uh, I've i definitely been – not that there's been much of a sample, but I was disappointed in the fact that Logan Brown didn't really do much in his two AHL games that he's had so far, and – I, I don't know what's going on in that. I, I'm sure that game is over now, but I saw that they were down 3-0 when I last checked their game tonight. So they have just been getting torn apart uh, this year, which is not what I was expecting. And um, 
I don't know. I, I guess that they just have lost more uh, like punch than I had realized, but I wasn't expecting them to be that bad that they that the Belleville Senators have been this year. Yikes. Yeah, they lost 4-1 uh, to Stockton in Ottawa and Belleville's home opener out at the CTC. Uh, Sokoloff, though, got his first pro goal. Hey, uh, so okay. congrats to, to him. But, I mean, to me, I, I, my expectations for Belleville uh, were relatively low, knowing that they were going to lose, you know, at least one of Norris and Brown and uh, Batherson. Uh, losing two of those guys um, definitely hurts. I mean, Formington's probably been their best player uh, on the team. They lost Brandstrom. Their defensive core isn't that good. I just wasn't expecting them to get blown out every game. Yeah, that that is not good. I was I was expecting also just like I don't know. I I I saw the two um, their first two games because you know the AHL was showing those games for free or whatever that weekend, and Forment uh, Formenton was definitely like very noticeable. Um, But I was disappointed at how not dynamic. Uh, Logan Brown and Abramov uh, and well, RIP Philip Schlappick, how all of them were, were looking. And it, it also like can't be overlooked that, you know, Eric Brandstrom is also a graduate uh, from Belleville. And so they don't really have a like puck moving D down there anymore. I don't think like Lassie Thompson is known for his shot, but I don't think he's really known for his transition. No, his transition game. Isn't the greatest. He's one of those. He's a, he reminds me a lot like Weber in, in terms of like, not that great of a transition defenseman. Uh, but once he's set up in the offensive zone, he can hurt somebody with a shot. And they moved on from Lejoie too, who was maybe the only somewhat puck movement you know, guy that they had outside of Brainstrom. Yeah, Lejoie and Yaros are, are both gone. Schlappick got his release, surprisingly. I think that caught everyone off guard. I don't think anyone was expecting him to to be released. Yeah, that, that definitely strikes me as a situation where we're never, well, maybe never really going to know what happened there, but I'm guessing it was almost certainly – off ice like reasons for that. I mean, I know he was hurt and maybe he, maybe he was like, I'm hurt. You know, uh, you're obviously, there's obviously no room for me up in the NHL right now. You probably can't find me a trade partner. Let me go home and I'll try again in the off season kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's kinda... not, not a huge loss to be like, I mean, Schlappick is not to take anything away from him. He's a good defensive center, but it's not a loss that's really going to cost you down the road. I mean, I don't know where he even fits in. If we're looking down, we got Pinto coming, you know, we've got other guys coming. I don't know that, uh, you know, Formington's going to graduate. Ridley Gregg looked, he was one of the few players that looked really good in the American Hockey League. I'm so disappointed that he had to go back to Brandon. Yeah, but hopefully he has, you know, he has a really good year there. Hopefully. That that's definitely the the case. But it's just unfortunate because he was actually having 
a solid four games as a as an eighteen year old in the AHL. Uh, but before we let you go, got a quick question uh, for you. I put we put this out on Twitter. Uh, your stance on the the standings format of you know the two points and the one point. Would you change it to like a a win percentage or do the the international of like a three two one system? What's your take on the way they do the standings? Um, I don't know. I'm not like I'm not super passionate about the uh, like the standings setup. I'm more passionate about um, the like draft lottery system or whatever. Like I'm a big proponent of, I think it's like the gold draft where like once you're officially eliminated from the playoffs, you start accumulating like uh, gold draft standings or whatever. Right. Isn't that that system? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like, so that's, that's the only standings related thing that I'm really passionate about. I like, I've never really been one of those people who's like, oh, the overtime point, oh, confound it, or whatever. Um, I mean, I don't really care for the shootout. I would love for them to just, like, do another five-minute three-on-three and then the shootout, or, like, because just a tie is, like, so demoralizing. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I don't know. Definitely agree on the three-on-three. I mean, they should just play continuous three-on-three. You know it's going to end. It's not going to take all night to play three-on-three hockey. Someone's going to score very quickly. You know, I I think at the most you'd see like maybe 15 minutes in in an entire season, and that would be absurd. Like you'd probably see it once. Yeah. The the only counter-argument that I've heard to like the full-on like perpetual three-on-three. Yeah, travel, right? What's that? The travel, right? Is is that what you're getting to? Well, no, I, I was going to say that people say that coaches will like try to overcoach it. You know, they'll oh. do the whole th- they'll you know, they'll gibouchet it or whatever where they'll, <laughs> they'll send out like a defensive unit first and you know that like teams will not take those risks that they currently do that make it entertaining. Um so I have heard people say like it should be like 5 minutes of 3 on 3 and then if neither team uh, like wins during that, they'll do another five minutes of it. But at that point, the winning team would get like one point and the losing team would get zero or something like to like really incentivize them to be like, listen, you better score or like we're both going to be pissed off. So right. <laughs> I, think that's like- I would do a, like a 10 minute three on three where like if you win, you get your two points, you get your loser point and then do another like 10 minute three on three where if you win you get one point if you lose after that you get none that'd be fun to watch see i don't even mind the 10 minute three on three and then a shootout because you'd rarely get to the shootout so i think just adding that extra five minutes would i mean even though like you said james i think that's a good point like coaches will overcoach the the hell out of that and make it boring but you could only make three on three so boring. Like there's so much open ice that players like Tim Stutzla, Thomas Shabbat, you know, the fun players that the senators have, I think would make it entertaining. So uh, yeah, to me, that's my vote. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with the, the fan uh, 
draft lottery with Seattle has a chance at number one. I think they have the third best odds. They have the same odds as whoever finishes third, like finishes 29th. So they have a chance at number one, which I mean, hey, let them give number one this draft class this week. So I don't really care where we finish. Uh, But again, James, thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure having you. Maybe next time you can uh, drop a, a parody. You can come on here to talk about it first. Give us a little, you know, parody exclusive. Sure. Yeah. It was it was really fun being on here with you guys. Thanks, James. Thank you. Problem. Well, uh, again, thank you. Uh, have a good night, and we'll hope to hear from you uh, another parody at some time this season. Oh, definitely. Very soon. I'm gonna try to. Um, be releasing at a clip of like at least one every two weeks, probably one every week. We'll see how things go. Cause I just, you know, I, I did tweet out that I like just started a new job. And so my schedule has gotten flipped upside down. Um, but I was still able to release one this week while I was at that job. So we'll see how things go from here on out. Looking Love forward it. to it. All right. Talk to you later, James. All right. Good night. All right. There you guys have it. There's our interview with James Mellish. Great guy. Fun, fun interview. We've hit well over the hour mark. So lost track of time during that a little bit. Absolutely. But hey, it was worth it. I mean, that guy's a load of fun and I'm looking forward to, uh, to all his releases. Yeah. I mean, the the San Seco song was great. One of my favorites. Mm. Uh, it's interesting having an Ottawa fan in St. Louis. Love the way he like, love the backstory behind it. Yeah, um, that would have been right before. Like that would have been the the last year of Heatley in Atlanta. Um, uh, so he didn't have the joys of experiencing that right away. But you know, it's still a great interview. And thank you guys, everyone, for tuning in. It was a great show. It's great having Derek back after an episode away. But we'll catch you back here uh, next week with a brand new episode of the Sun's Hour podcast. You can follow myself, Shannon underscore Ryan 97, Derek D Lee 075. Uh, remember, check us out, Sun's underscore Hour, Instagram and Twitter, Sun's Hour on YouTube. Uh, THPN code uh, f- uh, on your first deposit, you get a free entry on DraftKings. Uh, the Wellington Diner, uh, Skip the Dishes, fantastic local diner support, local. And customized sports, 10% off when you use promo code SENSHOUR. Have a great night, guys, and we will see you back here next week. Sick and pain, sick and pain, but you can cure our disease. Call the doctor, call an ambulance, but it's not for me. Where the sickness word is pickable, and that's why we scream. Yes, ha, 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 ha. Yes, Monday night patch.